Well, good morning to all, and especially uh, to some. I look around and I see a number of people that have come home to sit with mom on Mother's Day in church, and we're glad especially that you're here. And uh, to our moms, boy, we sure just appreciate your role, and we're going to look at that this morning. The Bible never tells us to have Mother's Day. I've looked. It's just not there. Uh, but what we're looking at this morning does show us that Mother's Day is a very good and appropriate celebration for a culture to uphold. And the principle of honor in the home is a huge deal. It's very much a part of who we are and what we are. <clears throat> I gave a title to what we want to consider this morning, the fifth commandment. I have a chart. <clears throat> could have brought it over, but I left it behind. But you wouldn't be able to see it anyhow if it's not on the screen. So let me just describe it for you. It's a chart I got at Emory University a number of years back. It was put out with several documents to honor the life and the ministry of Martin Luther, and this is the 500th anniversary of the 95 Theses nailed on the door and all of that that probably you learned about in school, if not at church. And the Ten Commandments are on this chart in little blocks, and each commandment has a little piece of woodcut simple art describing that commandment or picturing that. And it gives the biblical commandment, and then it gives Martin Luther's commentary on that commandment to encourage the church in his day. Interesting thing about it, 500 years ago, the church as it was, pre-Reformation church, they had moved the commandments around a bit, and they had deleted one and added one. They had taken coveting number 10 and divided it into two and made that 9 and 10, and they had deleted the one on graven images because they had graven images, and they certainly didn't want to have one of the Ten Commandments telling them they shouldn't have that in their experience. So they juggled it all around, and they made the Fifth Commandment the Fourth Commandment. And our tradition eventually got back to the way it's written, which makes the principle of honor in the home the number five commandment. The first four teach us how to respond to God, how to relate to God. But the very first one, right out of the, the second section, uh, has to do with the home and family life. I've been a pastor a good while now. I've been a father a good while now. I've been an observer of American politics and cultural studies. And uh, most of the problems we have, most of the challenges we have, are best addressed by the biblical family. With it, you can solve all the problems. You really can. Without it, you'll never get there. Our federal government can triple or quadruple its budget. It will never, ever get there without what the Bible has to say about the family. And yet, if we were as a culture to turn to what the Bible has to say about the family and the home and marriage and parenting, if we really turn to that, all those other great issues that seem unmovable would begin to evaporate and you'd find yourself gravitating toward what would really be solid and good and enduring. Most of the problems really are family problems in the American culture today. I listened to Peter talking about school teaching. He's uh, finishing up his fourth year. Next week, he will have finished four years of teaching middle school up in the metro Atlanta area. And man, just most of the problems are family problems. Oh, but we got to teach more math and got to get science propped up and teach them how to read. 
Family is the number one issue in that school and everybody else's. It really, really is. And those of you that are in education, you know that. If you really got down to the economic issues, our country is so deep in debt, God help us. But a lot of that has come from the breakdown of the family and the government trying to overcome the breakdown of the home. And so uh, what the Bible has to say is of great, great, great significance. Now, Will read uh, already from Ephesians for us, uh, which links in and quotes from uh, the writings of Moses. Moses wrote the, he came, 1445 or so is the Exodus, and in that following year, he takes the nation down into the Sinai Peninsula, which is part of Egypt today, uh, goes up on Mount Sinai, uh, hears from God, receives the commandments, comes down with the tablet, and there's the Big Ten with a lot of other stuff. But we gravitate, first of all, to the Big Ten commandments. So Moses came down from that spiritual high with a word from on high from God saying, Honor your father and your mother so that you may live long in the land the Lord your God is giving you. That's just some, you've, you've heard that. Even those that are young, you've probably learned that in Sunday school already. Maybe even memorized that. Those of you that have been around church for a while have heard that many, many, many times. Honor your father and your mother <clears throat> so that it, you may live long in the land. Well, Moses lived 40 more years almost after bringing those commandments down from the mountain. They were challenging years, very challenging years because that part of the world, some of you have been there, <clears throat> it is incredibly desolate. You, you live from oasis to oasis. He's got a couple of million people. They're, they're trying to survive and make their way <clears throat> because ultimately the, the goal is to go into the promised land. And the, the spies went up and they said, it's great, but we can't go. And they backed off and they wasted a generation. They wasted a lot of Moses' life. But he finally brings them up on the eastern side of the Jordan River, on the eastern side of the Dead Sea, and on Mount Nebo, looking over into the valley, the Jordan Valley, <clears throat> and on into the Promised Land, he gives a series of messages we call Deuteronomy. You just read Deuteronomy and you'll just see it. It's just the text of sermons in written form. And so what he does, he goes back and he reviews what, a lot of what he's already given them 40 years before. In Deuteronomy 5, he says, Honor your father and your mother, as the Lord or as Yahweh, your God, has commanded you so that you may live long and then it may go well with you in the land the Lord your God is giving you. God's giving you this. I've never been to Mount Nebo. I've been on the other side. Uh, you've, you've been to Qumran with us in Israel to see the Dead Sea Scrolls. Uh, the site of the discovery of the Dead Sea Scrolls. You're looking down into the Dead Sea and the, the beautiful color water. Nothing can live in it, but it, it looks good. But you look across the, the sea and up on the rise on the other side and you're looking into modern-day Jordan with old biblical Moab and Mount Nebo's up there and it would give you an incredible view of the Promised Land. Those of you that went years back with us to Belvoir Castle may remember looking down into the, the same valley from the other side and you get this spectacular view and you can see for miles and miles and miles and the lush green valley below 
is inviting. If you've lived in the wilderness where Moses had lived for 40 years, you'd look into that and say, oh, that really is something special. And so Moses says, yes, the Lord is giving it to you. Now, what are you going to do with it? You must, you must, you must honor your father and your mother, just like the Lord has commanded you, so that you will live long and so that things will go well for you in the land that he's giving you, which implies, of course, immediately, that if you don't do that, it will not go well with you. And you won't live there a long time. Or if you live a long time, it won't go uh, according to God's design. Moses says, you've got to prioritize some things, get some things straight in your mind, your heart, in your culture, or it's not going to work. It will not work. That was 3,500 years ago almost. And Moses warned us. And it's absolutely just as true today. Paul, much, much, much later, writes to the Ephesians, as was read earlier, honor your father and your mother. And Paul says, which, by the way, is the first commandment with a promise. Their promise is woven into all the Ten Commandments, <clears throat> but with this one, it's stated. Paul says, it's got a promise that it'll go well with you that you'll enjoy long life on the earth. <clears throat> now, living a long time is not the most important thing in life. Some of the greatest people, some of the greatest Christians who have ever lived, lived relatively short lives. Most of my real heroes died younger than I am now, which is sort of a scary thought if I didn't have Christian faith. But it's just a, a profound reality. This life is brief, but... We don't know if it's going to be short or long, but however long it turns out to be, it can be likened to long life, which is just sort of a, a mosaic way of saying a good life or a, a God-blessed life. Now, those of you that have been to business school, you've studied microeconomics and macroeconomics, and one's about individual choices and small, the small picture, and one's about the big picture. Macroeconomics comes from makros, the Greek word makros. You put makros with chronos, from which we get chronology and all those kind of things, which has to do with time, and it, you get this long word that means long time. Uh, you do it God's way, it's, you're, you're going to have a long time to experience. Now, not everybody that lives properly and lives for the Lord lives a long, long time, but the general principle is... You do it God's way, it's going to work. If you don't do it God's way, it's not going to work. Uh, you can apply what Paul's talking about here <clears throat> with the Ephesians. He just spent a half a chapter talking about marriage. It's the, the number one passage in all the Bible <clears throat> on marriage. It's Ephesians 5. And he rolls from that right into this in the introductory verses to chapter 6. And you can take that, and, and we almost instinctively, automatically do that, and we make an immediate personal application uh, that I'm going to live a long time if I do the right things, or my family's going to do well if we do the right things. Uh, but what Moses is saying and what Paul is quoting and applying to the church at Ephesus and to the churches through the ages 
uh, really has a corporate application. So it's not just saying, if you do this, you'll live a long time. It'll say, and, and we've messed up the English language with the word you because there's you singular and you plural. So we've solved that in the South with y'all. Uh, seriously, Paul doesn't say y'all, but he does say you all a lot, which is the same thing, which overcomes the deficiency of you in that conversation. And so Paul might paraphrase here, or we might paraphrase Paul and say, it will go well for y'all, for all y'all. That's the plural. Somebody told me, Texan told me one time, the plural of y'all is all y'all. So I don't know how that works. But Paul's really saying, for all y'all, if you'll do it God's way, it'll work collectively. Your culture will succeed if you live God's way, if you build it on his plan. And for all y'all, it's not going to work. And when he talks about not being, uh, being long-timed versus not long-timed, your culture may not be long-timed unless you get this straight. I don't claim to be a prophet, but I know enough biblical truths to know we will not collectively as a culture, as a nation, be long-timed on the earth unless we begin to resolve these issues and address these issues biblically and rejoice in what God has to say on this important subject. Oh, I would love to see the United States uh, here on planet Earth, 300, unless Jesus returns, 300, 400, 500 years down the road, still here, better than ever, uh, flourishing, <clears throat> built on the foundation of homes. The government, whether it's the state of Georgia, the federal government, or city hall, is here to supplement the church is one, I, and I, I obviously believe in the church or I wouldn't do what I do, but the church is here to supplement. Government and church stand beside the family because the family is the core unit of society, of culture. And very few people really understand that. You have to go to an evangelical church like this to even find the people that still remember that or cling to that value system. Others are chasing rabbit trails all over the place without success, trying to solve the problems of mankind with all kinds of idealism, and it doesn't work because God's got a plan. And if we follow his plan, we will, as a people, as, as a culture, we will be long-timed, and we will honor God first as we learn to honor in the home that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life. This is the promise Paul's quoting. He says, you go back, you read Exodus, you read Deuteronomy. There was a promise woven into that, that you may enjoy long life on the earth. It'll go well with you. Uh, the Deuteronomy passage says uh, that it will go well with you in the land. I've seen the, the promised land and it is exciting to go there because of the biblical history. And parts of it are absolutely beautiful. But the real truth is, Israel can't touch Georgia. This is the most, you go into the, the beautiful parts of Georgia, it's a stunning place. The resources we have, the, the, the waterfalls and the, the trees, and a, a stunning place. 
God has a plan. God wants you to enjoy life, enjoy the earth. It can go well for you. Uh, Family life can be uh, just incredible if it's done God's way, but it must be done God's way. Paul says, uh, building on that, some things to children. The Colossian version says, children, obey your parents and everything for this pleases the Lord. God likes that. I want to just think about honoring this morning. My mom's been gone a couple of years now. My dad's been gone uh, eight or nine years. I've lost count. Uh, There's not a day that I do not remember them. There's not a day that I'm not grateful to them. I wear this thing every now and then because my mom gave this to my dad and it's got his name on the front and her name on the back. I don't like jewelry stuff and all, but that just helps me remember and be grateful. You are told by the Bible when you're growing up, Paul lays it out with the Ephesians and the Colossians and, and you can get it in multiple places. When you're growing up, you obey your parents and that promise is it will go well with you if, if you do. <clears throat> and, it, you know, when you're uh, honoring parents, it goes beyond that. You obey them when you're growing up. You honor them for the rest of your life. You honor them while they're living. You honor them when they're gone. I probably honor my parents more now than I ever have in my thoughts And what I have to say about them, because I grow increasingly aware of what they did for me and what they invested in my life and how much they loved me. You never outgrow honoring your parents. Today, mothers, you never outgrow your need to do that. It's not that they need a package or they need a flower. You need to honor them. You need to honor the idea of the home and the whole deal. And so you, you outgrow obedience, uh, you move on and you, you come into adulthood and you're responsible for your own decisions. But the honoring part, that just never really goes away. That's part of who we are continually. It's a special part of who we are. We honor them uh, in our thoughts. We honor them in our speech to them. We honor them in our speech about them what we say when they're not around, what we say about them when they're no longer with us, uh, we honor them and we say, they are special and God gave them to me. The scripture earlier we saw talks about women that truly honor God. I remember being in a classroom in Zambia and I taught family life until I got moved over to bibliology But I taught family life at first in the early years, and I had uh, the students of the first and second group combined in a class. Gideon and Justin were in that, and uh, a lot of others. And we had the first three girls there, and we started talking about family life issues. And it's really fun to do that in a foreign culture and talk about what what family life is like there and what it's like here and how they're alike and how they're different and then compare both of them to the Bible. And so we did that for a week and a half and had great discussion, but we were into one of these long sessions of talking one morning, and one of the guys raised his hand, I pointed at him, he said, Sir, is it even possible to find a woman like that? Does that even exist? 
And right over to my left, I mean, I could reach over and tap on their desk, and they have these little wooden desks about this wide. They've, they did back then. They've kind of done away with them. But uh, it's really designed for two people to sit there. And all three of those girls were sitting in one of those desks right there together, right over here. And 30 guys in the room with them. And that guy asked that question. Is it possible? Does that even exist? Is that even out there somewhere? And I just paused for a minute, and everybody's kind of waiting for the answer. And I looked over at those three girls, and they looked back at me like, what in the world are you going to say? <laughs> I said, oh, yeah. It really does work, and that really is possible. And those girls said, yes. <laughs> but we can look around us in our own culture, in our own time, and say, does any of this stuff really work? Does this even work at all? And the answer is, oh, yes. Oh, yes, it does. But don't go to school and expect everybody to agree with you on that. Don't go to work and expect all your, unless you work at First Baptist Church or some unique place like that. Don't go to work and expect everybody around you to hold your value system about the home if you're committed to the scriptures. Don't watch cable news and expect it to be the encouragement that you desire in all these areas. It comes from God's word. And when God's people apply God's word to their personal lives, especially in the area of family, it goes well for them, and they are long-timed upon the earth. And the cultures that have come and gone are the ones that did not understand this, and the ones that have endured are built on such a foundation. And we have a chance as a people, as a culture, a lingering chance still there to reach out and take hold of what the Bible has to say about the family and say, we will not let go of this. And we will not cease to pray for our children and our children's children. We'll pray for those in authority over us, but we will pray mostly that a sovereign God will work in our families. God help the government and all the stuff out there, the education system and the economy, but God bless our homes and our family. Or as the old thing in the hymn book, the song in the hymn book, God give us Christian homes. Uh, may it not just be familiar scripture. May it be guiding principles for life. It is our responsibility as children to obey our parents. It is our responsibility as adults to honor our parents, the good ones and the bad ones. <clears throat> I'm not, that's not the right way to describe it, the, but the disappointing ones. And you may look back in your own experience and say, <laughs> my, my parents... Uh, I've got some real good friends on both sides of the planet who don't know who their parents are or uh, who dad is supposed to be or those issues. By the grace of God, you press beyond that and you say, it starts with me and I will build the Christian home, the Christian family. And I will still endeavor to honor the best possible elements of the past and I will not be embittered by all of that. I will grow through that, and I will build a Christian home. I will honor God in my choices. We are guardians of the truth. You remember my Luther poster? <clears throat> uh, 
the little woodcuts and you come down in Luther's commentary and you come down to what's commandment four there, which should be commandment five on honoring father and mother. I should have written down Luther's commentary. I don't have that. But the woodcut is an interesting selection, especially to me. It's a, it's a picture of Noah and it's Noah's worst day. And those of you that have read Genesis know that Noah had a bad day after the flood. Too much grape juice. And uh, he's uh, not in his best condition. And Ham comes in and sees that and mocks that and laughs at that and goes out to tell his brothers, <laughs> look at dad, you need to see dad. He's, he's plastered. He's this, this, this really something. And, and the other two, Shem and Japheth take a blanket and they walk backwards into the room and covered him up and waited for a better day. <clears throat> First of all, it tells you that that was not a typical day in the, in the life of Noah. They'd never seen that before, and they wouldn't see it again. Something just was bad about that day. But Ham thought it was funny, and Noah came out of that. I, I wrote about Genesis about 15 years ago, and I wrote a chapter about that experience, and I titled the chapter An Attitude of Honor and talked about the issue we're considering this morning because it was huge. Now, what does Noah, when Noah wakes up, <clears throat> he doesn't say, cursed be him. It's not an angry Noah, like I'll, I'll show that smart aleck, I'll, I'll curse him. It has nothing to do with that. That's a, a wrong take on that. But he does talk about Ham's son, and he says, cursed is Canaan. And I think Noah said that with no anger, he said that with tears. Now, why, why would I say that? Because Noah sees what's going to go on in Ham's family unless something changes. Ham has lost the principle of honor. He's, he's missing something crucial. That even when dad has a bad day or mom's not at her best, the principle of honor is still there. So the appropriate response was the response of the other two brothers who said, but that's dad, and we will honor him, and we will make the most of this day, and tomorrow will be a better day. I thought it was just interesting that 500 years ago, somebody made that chart and took Luther's commentary and put it on there and chose the woodcut of that story to convey the principle of honor your father and your mother because it is the, the perfect illustration. You don't honor them because they're honorable. You honor them because God tells you to honor them. You don't honor them because you like them or love them or they've given you something new. You honor them because God says honor them. And here comes the Bible back to us saying, if you'll do this, it'll work. If you will do this, it will go well with you. And you will be long-timed in the earth. Your culture will be long-timed. Your culture will survive. It will live uh, to go into another chapter. It will sustain itself another day. If you do it God's way. Now, there's all kind of stuff we don't have time this morning to explore it. But, you know, if you are a parent, if you happen to be a mother or a father or a grandmother or a grandfather, uh, the, the charge to you is be honorable. By the grace of God, be everything that would lead your children and your grandchildren to instinctively honor you. Be your best to be that. 
But for all of us, apart from what is or isn't or ought to be, we are called collectively as a culture to honor father and mother because it's honoring the home and the home is the centerpiece of God's structure for society. Now, you don't have to be married to understand that or have been married or going to be married. Uh, it's not about that. It's about collectively as the Lord's people saying, this is how God works and we will honor that. There's folks in our church that could write the book on honoring parents because they do it so well and so lovingly. But we are all called to do that, to encourage, uh, to bless and honor in our homes. Our children will learn from us and our grandchildren will learn from us how to do that by how we treat each other. If a father wants his children to honor his mother, he better honor his wife first and vice versa and around the table in all the relationships. We communicate in the relationships of our families how we honor. So there it is. It's really pretty simple. You get up every morning and say, above all and first of all and foremost, I will honor God comes out of the movie Chariots of Fire, the, the quotation of that passage, but another word from Moses, the Lord, the God of Israel declares, those who honor me, I will honor. So you get up every morning, not just on Mother's Day or on Sunday before you go to church, you get up on Monday and say, today I will honor God. And you start with that. And then you say, oh, and by the way, there will be honor in my home and in my heart toward the people that God has put in my immediate surroundings. It works. It will work for all of us. Oh, God, give us grace. God, give us mercy. God, give us wisdom and direction. Bow with me, if you will. Father, we're grateful this morning that, as the song says, you have indeed given us Christian homes. And uh, some of us can look back on uh, the experience of parents who loved unconditionally, who were amazing in their graciousness and their encouragement. I am so grateful for that personally. Some of our congregation, our church family this morning, would not be able to look back on that, but they had the potential to be the starting of that, and they have the potential to make the most of that. So, Lord, weave into our hearts, into our thinking, into our choices an attitude of honor so that uh, the church might help the home to retool America so that we as a culture might honor you. And we come confessing our failure and acknowledging our need and rejoicing in your sufficiency in all things. We're grateful for the gospel. We're grateful for an amazing grace and a, a forgiveness and a cleansing that can come through Jesus Christ so that all of us that have messed up different elements of what Moses and Paul are talking about here, all of us can be renewed and get fresh starts and go on to better. May we do so even today. We look to you in faith. We do so with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen.